Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Carlos Toro, and we got a packed show for you guys today. We got, obviously, the Canelo Alvarez versus Sergey Kovalev preview, which will be, I guess, the main focus of the show. We'll discuss that in just a little bit. We also got a bit of a recap. The World Boxing Super Series, Josh Taylor versus Regis Progray. Obviously, we also got the Showtime card tonight on November 1st. And you get to hear from one of the fighters fighting on that card, Richardson Hitchens. Interview I did with him not too long ago. You'll get to hear it on this podcast. And also talk a little bit about Tyson Fury. He had his WWE debut at the Saudi Arabia show, Crown Jewel against Braun Strowman. And I'll get into what happened over there at in Saudi Arabia and what will be his future moving forward will he remain in WWE with the is he abandoning the Deontay Wilder rematch we'll get into all that in just a second but before we do before I get into the nitty-gritty why don't you head on over to Fightful Boxing's and MMA YouTube channel if you're listening on YouTube channel subscribe give us a thumbs up comments we really do appreciate that kind of stuff kind of helps our visibility also feedback is always welcome uh if you're listening on itunes don't forget to leave us a review that also helps us a lot over here at fightful helps get the word out uh about not just the podcast but the website in general head on over to fightful.com for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling mma and boxing Lots to discuss here today, so let's get right into it. Uh, I want to discuss first this Tyson Fury Saudi Arabia thing, because I thought it was really, really interesting. So, for those of you who I, who have no idea what I'm talking about, so Tyson Fury, the undefeated uh, lineal heavyweight champion of the world, and uh, you know, if, and if you're ESPN and you're in your WWE, you really focus on the lineal part. It has to be the lineal. You always got to emphasize the lineal part about Tyson Fury. So, 
the so what happened is so Fast and Fury has been involved in WWE program for the last month or so. He was on the SmackDown Fox premiere show, got into a bit of an altercation, or at least he got almost got into a physical altercation with Braun Strowman, and who is this like hulking beast? It's like he's like it's like Tyson, a guy that's like Tyson Fury's height, more or less, and then that slap on about what a hundred pounds of muscle. Like this guy's, this guy's a he's a big boy. He's a real, real big boy. And so they kind of got into a physical altercation in the ensuing weeks. And then those two had a match at Crown Jewel, the Saudi Arabia show that WWE did. It was it was a match. So Tyson Fury beat Braun Strowman. I mean, there's no point in, you know, on this boxing podcast, there's no real point in kind of dissecting the match in general other other than the fact that it was a disaster <laughs> to, for just to get through that just i'm gonna say right now this was not good this was not a good match like if you you know if you thought you know this could be like one of those it's so bad it's good type of matches or it's a i don't know i, I don't know you you think that like this is some sort of like weird circus attraction that like somehow they WWE makes it work no this was you know this wasn't Floyd Mayweather big show at Wrestlemania 24 it wasn't anything like that uh you know WWE Tyson Fury was you know trying his best to like do pro wrestling stuff it wasn't like it wasn't kind of like you know as I mentioned Mayweather big show where you just had Mayweather do a lot of boxing stuff and not really for hone in on the pro wrestling stuff. Meanwhile, Tyson Fury, he was actually practicing some wrestling maneuvers over at the WWE Performance Center in Orlando. And, you know, I gotta say, I thought, you know, for what, um, like two, three weeks of training that he had, you know, I gotta admit, you know, Tyson Fury did the best he could, but... Let's be honest, you know, when you put a guy like Braun Strowman, who's not exactly the most nimble guy out there and not necessarily the most experienced pro wrestler on WWE's roster, and you put you give him the task of trying to make a match against Tyson Fury look good, it's not going to look good. It's It was weird, it's clunky, but you know what? For what it was, I thought it was, you know... Maybe disaster, calling a disaster a couple of minutes ago was a little bit too much. I thought it was... It was inoffensive. It, you know, Tyson Fury got it. Got a big payday. Some reports saying fifteen million dollars. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's you know, Tyson Fury got to accomplish his dream, uh, or or at least maybe not his dream, but he got to do something pretty cool with WWE and wrestle for them and be involved in a storyline with one of their top stars. And look, I'm not gonna say you know Tyson Fury is gonna be. It has a pro wrestling future or anything like that, but like you, you look at Tyson and you look at his pro, his charisma, his ability to talk, and you think he'd be a perfect fit for WWE. But then you kind of saw the the end result, and God, it, this felt like so overly scripted. Every every time Tyson Fury talked, it was just not good. 
the audience at times were not really into it and it was you know it was it was weird i don't know you know i don't know if the saudi prince got you know personally requested tyson fury but you know what I'm not surprised if he did if he did request Tyson Fury because let's be honest we're talking about the the same people that reportedly asked for Yokozuna and the Ultimate Warrior to be at a Saudi Arabia show uh, I believe last year for like the Million Man Royal Rumble, whatever the hell that uh, that thing was last year, they, they called it the greatest Royal Rumble. And, and listen, it had Hornswoggle, so obviously it was definitely the greatest Royal Rumble in history. But they, they asked for Yokozuna and the Ultimate Warrior, despite Yokozuna being dead for years and years, and Warrior also being dead since like what 2014. So you know. Weirder things have happened, but, you know, I thought that this was, it was inoffensive and nothing too great. Tyson Fury, he said after the, he said after the match in an interview with WWE saying, you know, I got my whole thing with Deontay Wilder come February, and after that, well, we'll see. So, it pretty much, so, anybody thinking, oh my god, is Tyson Fury gonna abandon the, the Deontay Wilder rematch? You're like, no, he's not. He's not. This is like a one-time thing. No one, no one really thought Tyson Fury was abandoning boxing entirely. I did not think so. You know, there's Tyson Fury has the charisma to be to fit into pro wrestling, but you know, obviously, you know, this whole talk about you know Tyson Fury saying he's only got three fights left. I mean, well, we'll see. I don't know if the if the like, Deontay Wilder rematch is really going to happen now that I'm in WWE, you know, no. Those all, all, all talk. I never believe, I, I never for a second believe that Tyson Fury would willingly throw away a rematch against Deontay Wilder uh, for 2020 in favor of a pro wrestling career. It was not. It's it, not going to happen. I don't think that, you know, I don't know if this is going to be the end of Tyson Fury in WWE. Maybe maybe we'll see something come WrestleMania time, def- uh, depending on what happens in that rematch. If and when it does happen on February 22nd, 2020. And that really was the, 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 the magic number, the magic date that Fury threw in the interview with, with WWE. And, and really, that the magic date that everyone has been throwing around for Wilder Fury too. So... If it does happen, it, it, it'll happen. Uh, I, I still, it's, I'm still at a let's wait and see until it actually happens or, or it gets officially announced before I really say, oh yeah, Wilder Fury 2 is going to happen. So because anything can happen from here to February, Wilder still got a title defense against Luis Ortiz in November or later this month actually. And that's not going to come easy. I think Deontay Wilder is going to win that fight, but it's by no means a cakewalk if we're looking at their first fight in March 2018, which I thought was a hell of a fight, especially the second half of that bout. But from the squared circle to, you know, the another, you know, type of ring, back to the boxing ring, 
Uh, well, we just saw what was maybe the new front runner for fight of the year, at least according to some people, between Regis Progray and Josh Taylor for the World Boxing Super Series Junior Welterweight Crown. I thought this was a bloody brilliant fight between Taylor and Progray. Uh, you know, Taylor won, he unified the IBF and WBA world title. So now we got two. You know, two kingpins of the 140-pound division, Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor, uh, both de- both holding two unified titles. I thought this was a, a fantastic fight. I thought, you know, I thought Pro Graves was going to be a little more aggressive into this fight, or at least uh, throughout the entire bout. There was there were times where. Prograde really struggles against Taylor's movement and accuracy. And I thought Josh Taylor had a tremendous game plan, really forcing Prograde to really, you know, chase him and try to pull off, you know, four or five punch combinations. And there were times where Prograde did that. But he wasn't able to do that throughout the 12 rounds. And at most, there were times where he was only throwing, like, maybe the uh, simple one-two combinations. And Progress struggled with trying to get, trying to make sure that those fight, uh, that those punches uh, really landed on Josh Taylor. But there, but but it got to a point where Taylor, where where Taylor was getting hit real good by Regis Progress, and then and Josh Taylor's right eye. My God, that thing swelled up like a balloon. Like I, it, I, it, I want. I don't want to say like he uh, Taylor was in any real danger of, of having the fight stopped because the the right eye was getting swole was getting getting too bad for for the referee to allow the fight to continue. But Josh Taylor, you know, you look at the, look at the photo, like the immediate. Uh, the immediate end of fight photos with uh, of Josh Taylor's right eye that looked that looked terrible that that eye looked real bad but you know I I thought this fight was great I highly recommend you guys go out and watch it and I think this was yet another example of boxing at its finest to where you had the best fighting the best and I think this is one thing that I will give the World Boxing Super Series a ton of credit look the, 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 we can say we can say all we want about the issues the behind the scenes issues that there were in the World Boxing Super Series throughout this season especially back in December and January but when it was working when all the when all the planets aligned, when all the stars aligned and the fighters came together, there was nothing like it in in the sport. Within the last two years, we've had the crowning of of the best uh, super middleweight in the world, arguably, in Callum Smith when he beat George Groves. We've had an undisputed cruiserweight champion in Oleksandr Usyk, who is... Who has now become, you know, the dark horse contender in the heavyweight division? Actually, not even a dark horse contender. The guy that can, you know, play spoiler to the entire heavyweight division, and is a pound for pound star. And this season, 
we've had let's say we we've had we've all we've had two of the actually not even two we've had one of the three uh one of the three tournaments conclude and josh taylor be you know now moves into that top two you know rankings in the 140 pound division it's now essentially a two-man race between him and jose ramirez and that fight ramirez versus taylor for the undisputed titles that that is a monumental fight that has to be made sometime in 2020 it's not going to happen in like the first nine months of 2020 because jose ramirez got two mandatories he's got victor postal from the wbc and he's got jack catterall from for the wbo mandatory and you know i expect jose ramirez who's coming off of surgery to or, or, or at least injury to take care of the mandatories first he's got he's more than likely to be uh, more than likely fighting on the super bowl weekend uh top ranked card that they got going on that they had that they had one in early february this year with the sergey kovalev elider alvarez rematch and that that was a real big event because you had a ton of big fights there. You got three world title fights. You had Teofimo Lopez fighting in the co-main event. So obviously they're gonna load up this upcoming February card real good with real big fights. And you got Jose Ramirez. Obviously you put that fight in Fresno. That that's gonna be a ma- an immediate sellout, especially with Ramirez making his first title defense as the unified champion. And then maybe maybe here's here's how it should play out. Here's how the road to the 140 pound unification should play out. Obviously, Ramirez is gonna handle his mandatory first. So obviously you got Victor Postal in February. Then maybe you go into the summer, maybe June or July, and take care of Jack Catterall. And if Ramirez take, takes care of business with both of those fights. I mean, you—that's already two fights in your fir- within the first seven months. So, obviously, you can make that third fight for the undisputed titles. It, you know, maybe towards late November, early December, two thousand twenty, at at the latest, early, you know, Super Bowl weekend, two thousand twenty-one is the absolute latest that you know this rematch, uh, this undisputed title fight should take place. And and if more than anything, Prograde versus Taylor showed that the sport really is at its best. And there's nothing like it when you have two of the best fighters, undefeated, willing to risk their world titles and their perfect records, uh, you know, against one another. And I got to say this for Regis Prograde. There is not one person in the in boxing from you know whether it be fans, the media, fighters in general, there is not one person who thinks any less of Regis Progray, even though he lost a fight against Josh Taylor. I think for, for the majority of people, or at least nearly everyone, thought that Taylor won. I thought Taylor won, and I and I predicted Progress was gonna win, even stop Josh Taylor. But Josh Taylor, you know, decides uh, one. I thought it was, it wasn't like 
a dominant win. It was very, very close. And I think, like, you had, you could go anywhere from, like, 115 to 113 to maybe 116 to 112. I don't know if 117 to 111, that's not, a, I think that's giving Taylor or way too much credit or not giving pro grades enough credit. I had a 115-113 on my personal scorecard. But going back to progress, not a single person thought any less of Regis progress because of this. His stock went up real good. And and it's funny because you hear this in, in pro wrestling. I say, you know, and I kind of put this analogy in pro wrestling uh, because obviously Fightful is your crossover website when it comes to MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling. So uh, in pro wrestling... There is kind of an idea where sometimes losing is the best way to get you more popular, at least get get the fans to be on your side even more, more so than a win. Because Progress was willing to go to the UK. He was willing to risk his world title. He was willing to to uh, to, you know, to dare to he dare to be great. And even though he didn't win, he fought a hell of a fight. Some people might think it was the best boxing fight of 2019 so far. It was definitely the best fight on British soil of 2019, at least in my opinion. And his stock went up. The The, the fans in the UK, they love him. He, he just became a... He immediately became a star with that performance, with that tremendous fight that we saw. And I think Regis Progress can be a world champion again. I really do think. And if you put Regis Progress in the in the UK once again, you bet your ass the people are gonna come out and tr- uh, and attend that fight if promoted well. I think Regis Progress is a, is a fine fighter. He's a tremendous fighter. At worst, I think he's the third best junior welterweight in the world. And that's nothing to be ashamed of, especially with as loaded a division at the top as we got at 140 pounds. So I don't know what's next for Regis Progress. You could, you could run it back between Taylor and Progress down the road. You could do that. Not a single person would complain because the first fight was so damn good. But Taylor's future is a little uncertain. He'll probably defend this title you know, one, maybe once in 2020 before, you know, trying to see if he can make the fight against Jose Ramirez for the undisputed titles possible, assuming he takes care of his mandatories first. But, you know, I, I do think that he's going to, I do think Josh Taylor made a strong case to maybe even be considered fighter of the year. May, Jose Ramirez, he's also got... You know, you you can make a case that Jose Ramirez also should be considered fight of the year. Now, granted, I don't know, I don't don't think either guy is going to necessarily win fight of the year. But just but that's because we've had so many great fighters have tremendous years. You know, there's and we're and we're not even done with 2000. We're not even done with 2019. So I, I, there's a lot to there's a lot to to wait and see, but obviously Josh Taylor had a tremendous performance. 
Josh Taylor really became one of the best fighters out there, and I think he's going to be a massive star. And I think a fight between Taylor and Ramirez will be will be one for the ages. But now we kind of move on to, I guess, the main topic of this podcast, which is obviously Canelo Alvarez versus Sergey Kovalev, WBL Light Heavyweight Championship. I got to tell you, okay, so I'm just going to throw out my, first of all, I'm going to do my prediction first, and I will explain why. I think I think Canelo Alvarez wins this fight on the scorecards, he, and here's why. I think that you look at this fight, and I think it's a very, very solid fight between Canelo and Kovalev. On paper, they could provide us with a tremendous fight. But here's why, here's why I chose Canelo Alvarez. Yes, I do recognize the history of fighters trying to move up two weight classes in order to... Uh, in order to win a world title. I do recognize that in recent years, we have had plenty of problems in regard, uh, plenty of struggles from those fighters who have dared to make the imp- make them impossible and win two weight classes, uh, win the title two weight classes up. Mikey Garcia failed. Kel Brook failed. Amir Khan failed. Guillermo Rigandau failed. But but here's the thing. Here's why I think this is a little bit different for Canelo Alvarez. First of all, I think Canelo Alvarez is a better fighter than all of those guys who have moved up to the, the two weight classes uh, at the time. I do think Canelo Alvarez right now is a better fighter than all of those guys, even more so than Guillermo Rigondeau, who I, you know, who at that point when he was facing Vasily Lomachenko. He was going. To, he was already past his prime, even though many still recognize him as the best super bantamweight in the world. I recognized Guillermo Rigondeau as the best super bantamweight in the world at the time, but I don't. But, but even then, I still think Canelo Alvarez, pound for pound, is a better fighter. Canelo Alvarez, a guy like Kovalev, is I don't want to say he's tailor made for Alvarez. Obviously, there is something to be said about the fact that there are fighter uh, that the fact that Kovalev, there was a moment in his fight against Anthony Yard that had you know that scared a lot of people when it came when it came to the moment late in the fight where Anthony Yard really hurt Kovalev and there was there was a chance that Yard might could have stopped Sergey Kovalev. If there were more time in the round that he hurt Sergey Kovalev, there might have been a chance. I don't know if it would have happened, but there was a realistic chance we could have seen a new world lightweight, cha- light heavyweight champion be crowned in Chelyabinsk, Russia, back in August. But obviously, you look at Kovalev and his strengths. Obviously, you have the you have Buddy McGirt in his corner. Who I gotta say, it's I don't know who should be named trainer of the year, but if Buddy McGirt isn't at the top of the list, or at the very least in serious consideration at the top of the list for the outstanding work that he's done with Sergey Kovalev, 
I, I just don't know what to say because he has completely revitalized Kovalev's career. He, not, he essentially turned the same Kovalev that was in a firefight uh, against Elidor Alvarez last year. And then fast forward six months later, four five months later, and you got Kovalev just dominating Elidor Alvarez using that the, the jab and using his using his ring IQ more so than just simply relying on being the old crusher Kovalev. And then you give Kovalev the fight against Anthony Yard and aside and for eleven, maybe ten and a half rounds. Kovalev was making Yard look real silly. His jab work was incredible. You can make a strong argument that Elder Alvarez, not Alvarez, I'm Sergey Kovalev, my mistake, that Sergey Kovalev has the best jab in the light heavyweight division or has one of the best jabs in the light heavyweight division. And we're seeing a more fundamentally sound Sergey Kovalev mixed in with certain elements of the old crusher that we all saw in the 2010s, in the mid-2010s when he ruled the light heavyweight division before running into Andre Ward. And you can all, and you can thank Buddy McGirt for that. He has done a tremendous job. And I think, you know, a lot of people might be worried that you know, Kovalev, the, the the turnaround from August to November from Anthony Yard to, to Canelo Alvarez might be too quick for Kovalev. You know, for a guy like Sergey Kovalev, I, that, that's actually a benefit. That is actually a benefit to Kovalev because he's not a guy that is going to be, that that's going to, that it's always in the gym training six hours a day as much as he would like to. But he's not. He's not that kind of guy. He will train, but he's not going to be in fighting shape 24-7, 365 a year. But you put him in a quick turnaround uh, against Canelo Alvarez. And obviously, Kovalev, aside from the big scare in August for one round against Anthony Yard for one and a half rounds, Yard looked good. Yard wasn't really... Hurt that bad? He didn't get any real any bad cuts like like a Tyson Fury or or, or, or I don't know um, a, a Badu Jack level of nasty cut. So physically, Kovalev feels fine, and he doesn't have to worry about cutting weight or focus on shedding however many pounds he needs to to get to the 175 pound limit. The focus on the training camp is just more on getting him ready for Canel Alvarez and less so on that uh, on just cutting weight. So all of that is definitely in Kovalev's favor. However, when you look at a guy like Canel Alvarez, obviously Alvarez is a guy that really he he's never fought at light heavyweight as a pro, but he has experience fighting as a super middleweight. So he's fought at 168. So making the jump to 175 isn't as daunting a task as some may think. You know, unlike Mikey Garcia, when he moved from 135 to 147 and had the, 
and already had the experience of going to 140 uh, prior to going to 147. The difference here is that Mikey was already an undersized or relatively undersized junior welterweight to begin with. So you put Mike, a guy like Mikey Garcia at 147, and you can, and, obvious, and obviously the size and physical disparity between him and Errol Spence Jr. were abundantly clear. Obviously, Canelo Alvarez isn't a six foot three middleweight who you can make a case maybe light heavyweight is more his size. So, but but here's the thing, Alvarez physically he's built real real well. He's a guy that naturally I think he can make one seventy five without issue, and but and he's not a skinny middleweight. He's is he is frame he has a well built frame for middleweight and for super middleweight he is a guy who maybe isn't as big height wise compared to a Callum Smith or a Rocky Fielding but you but you know he can he can fight at 140 without size being that much of an issue and so, light heavyweight, I don't think he's going to encounter as many problems compared to Mikey when he went to welterweight earlier this year. And you look at a guy like and Alvarez, the, the skill set is just unbelievable. His footwork is tremendous. His, his head movement is out of this world. He, you, you saw it in the Danny Jacobs fight where Jacobs really just couldn't land anything on Alvarez for several portions of the fight. And so Alvarez is going to be looking to doing... Alvarez is going to... I think he's going to try to replicate or at least certain elements of his game plan for when he fought Rocky Fielding last December. I don't think... Obviously, I'm, I, Kovalev is a much better fighter than Rocky Fielding. But in a way, you look at Canelo Alvarez in that fight against Rocky Fielding, you can kind of guess, you can kind of understand where Canelo's you know, game plan might come from. Because the one weakness, and you know, and obviously Kovalev will downplay it, Buddy Maker will downplay it, if downplay it. But it is something to really be concerned about. It is the fact that Kovalev isn't necessarily the best fighter when it comes to reacting to get hit in the body. And Alvarez is a guy who is capable in, uh, of starting out aggressively, pounding away at the body, landing the big left hook to the ribs. And if Kovalev doesn't immediately, you know, get the get his jab going uh, against Canelo Alvarez, and he might, and we just might see uh, Canelo Alvarez take up first few rounds, little little easy, while he tries to figure out when to attack Kovalev's body. But eventually, Canelo is going to pound away at Kovalev's body, and if you think. If you think Anthony Yard hits hard to the body, then Canelo Alvarez is going to destroy Kovalev to the body. 
I think, you know, and, and I give Kovalev a lot more credit than some people may think. I think, I don't think this fight is going to end in a stoppage. I don't think Kovalev is going to knock Sergey Kovalev out, even though I do believe Canelo is more than capable of doing so. But I think, I think you look at this fight and I think the size difference will eventually come into play. And I do think that Alvarez is going to, you know, eventually win the fight. And I do think it'll be on the scorecards. I think Canel is going to win this, like, with a 116-112 scorecard. He couldn't even, he, he could drop Kovalev. He could drop Kovalev. And you look at this fight and you can make a case for both guys winning. But the case for Canelo winning is so much more solid and so much stronger than the argument for Kovalev winning. Let's not forget, this fight is in Las Vegas. And beating Canelo Alvarez on the scorecards in Las Vegas is damn near impossible unless your name starts with Floyd and ends with Mayweather Jr., I mean, Gennady Golovkin, with two unbelievable performances, wasn't able to do it on the scorecards. Danny Jacobs wasn't able to beat Canel Alvarez on the scorecards. Even though, obviously, you know, it's not because the judges were, you know, were, were shown favoritism for Canel. But, but the point stands, beating Canel Alvarez on the scorecards in Las Vegas is damn near impossible. And Kovalev recognizes that. Kovalev, when you, you know, when you ask... Kovalev and his team about the judging in Las Vegas, you can tell from their responses that they that is something they are aware and maybe even concerned, maybe have that in the back of their mind, in the back of their heads, thinking about that. So Kovalev might potentially think to himself, damn, I gotta knock Canel Alvarez out just to leave no leave no chance of, you know, maybe some judging shenanigans costing him the title. I don't think that Kovalev is obviously going to go for the home run swing right from the get-go, but there will come a time where Kovalev will recognize, I got to knock him out because I'm sh I sure as hell I'm not going to win on the scorecards. So I think Canel Alvarez is going to win. I think Canel Alvarez will buck the recent trend of fighters moving up two weight classes and failing to capture a world title in their first time out there. I think we're going to see, for one night only, we're going to see a Boffitt Simmons-esque type of run for Canel Alvarez. For one night only. I'm not saying that, you know, Canel Alvarez is going to go out and, and fight, and, you know, and just going to go to be a... a a constant presence in the light heavyweight division or a cruiserweight or, you know, as, as Canelo Alvarez kind of, kind of, you know, hinted at, I don't think he's going to go to cruiserweight. I think that's way, way too much for him because now you're, you know, you're talking from middleweight to, to 200 pounds. And, and for as much as I really like Canelo Alvarez and for as much as I think he is one of the best fighters and not the best fighter of this generation, or certainly the most accomplished fighter, or the biggest star, Canelo Alvarez is no Bob Fitzsimmons. He's not, he's not the guy that is going to go from 
middleweight to cruiserweight and have no problems winning a world title there. I don't think it's I don't think it's gonna be that easy. But I think this I think we'll see Canel Alvarez win. I think that this will be a, a great outing for Canelo. And I think we will see a new WBO light heavyweight champion. But obviously that's not the only fight on this card. I think that you know you look at that undercard and there is a lot of intrigue uh, in some of the fights in the undercard. Obviously, you got Ryan Garcia versus Romero Duno in the co-main event. And say what you want about Ryan Garcia. You know, you may think that he's being pushed over the moon by by Golden Boy. And, like, a, you know, in terms of him being this, this generation, the next generation's big star, or at least the next guy to take the mantle and be a massive star. And, you know... Obviously, you look at social media, you may think that, you may you may get that impression, but Ryan Garcia, his, his journey, his boxing career, the last year, has really taken a bit of a turn. Uh, you know, ever since he moved in with Canel Alvarez and his team, with bringing in Reynoso to train him, I personally... Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the only one thinking this. I think Ryan Garcia has looked so much better than, uh, you know, in these two fights uh, being trained by Reynoso compared to the other 16 fights that he's had under his belt prior. Because, my God, you, after the 16 fights... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After beating Carlos Morales last September, I thought to myself, I just don't see I just don't see how this guy is really going to be a a generational star or a massive you know world champion, you know, leading the charge for Golden Boy promotions alongside Canelo Alvarez. I just don't see it. But then you look at the fight, then you look at his fights against Braulio Rodriguez and Jose Lopez, and I'm seeing a far more disciplined Ryan Garcia inside the ring. I'm seeing a guy that's not willing to, you know, waste time and making careless mistakes, you know, and I'm seeing a much better fighter, a much more advanced, much more evolved Ryan Garcia inside the ring compared to what we saw prior to him being trained by Reynoso. I don't think, you know, I I still don't think that Ryan Garcia is going to be this, like, you know, guy that's going to be a world champion for the next 10 years or anything like that. No. But I can now start to see the potential that Golden Boy has been pushing us or pushing this narrative on to us. So, I think Ryan Garcia, this fight against Romero Duro, I think is very interesting. Romero Duro is a guy, he's got a lot of pop in his in, in his hands. I think he's a guy that 
very strong. He's very capable of of uh, of knocking guys out and maybe even giving Ryan Garcia a real run for his money. Do I think Romero Duno is capable of beating Ryan Garcia? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can envision a scenario where Romero Duno not only beats Ryan Garcia, but knocks him out. Because let's be honest, Ryan Garcia is still only 21 years old, and he is still, you know, he's still a prospect, in my opinion. He's still a prospect, and he's not, even if he beats Romero Duno, I will still look at him as a prospect. But if you ask me, I say Ryan Garcia... I say Ryan Garcia gets dropped, but he will be able to score a favorable uh, decision from the score uh, from the judges. I think he beats Romero Duno by a very, very, very close margin. It may even be a split decision, but I think Ryan Garcia wins. It might not be the performance that a lot of people will be looking for, and in some regards. Even if the fight goes into scorecards, even if Ryan Garcia wins and dominates, it's going to be a failure because obviously you have this whole issue with Golden Boy promotions. And then you have the whole thing with Garcia, with Ryan and Oscar De La Hoya and the mess they had with the Avery Sparrow fight falling through and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, you know, after all this, after the big contract, or at least what they claim, the biggest contract for a prospect in boxing today, or, or even in boxing history. Him not knocking out Romero Duno, I think some people will look at that as a failure. I don't. It, I will have to see, wait and see how the fight turns out. But I think Ryan Garcia wins this on the scorecards. Whether he not gets a title shot in 2020, that remains to be seen. Uh, to be seen. I don't think he's ready. Regardless of what happens, so that will be a so that's gonna be that's gonna be something worth watching out for. And you obviously got the rest of the undercard: Bakram Mortasaliev versus Jorge Fotea uh, for the uh, you know. I thought this is a really good junior middleweight matchup. Uh, Bakram is one of these guy, one of those guys that is. Comes in to comes in from Russia that a lot of people re, really are high on, and obviously he's looked pretty good as of late. Uh, he's this is his third fight this year. His first two fights scored stoppage of victories. He he's fought he he hasn't fought anyone of note yet. But you can start to see that there is potential in Bakram, especially in a junior middleweight division that really, it seems to be shifting almost on a monthly basis. It almost seems like. Champions get losing their titles, contenders once thought that were not going to be uh, a contender for very long suddenly emerges as someone to watch out for. So, you know, Bakram is going to be a guy that will... Be pretty good to watch out for. Uh, Jorge Fortea, uh, he's a guy who, uh, he's one of those guys that is from from Spain that not a lot of people talk about. He's one of the, he's not one of the, the sexy names from from Spain that people like uh, this, uh, talk about. He's not a Sergio Garcia or a Kerman Lejarraga 
And I don't think Jorge Fortea is better than either of those two guys, except for maybe, except for Kerman. I mean, that, that kind of, you know, I would love to see Kerman Lejarraga versus Jorge Fortea in an all-Spanish fight. I think that'd be a pretty good fight. But Fortea is, he's not a guy who, who, who will, he doesn't have a whole ton of power in, in his hands. But the one thing I will give him a lot of credit for is that he is certainly capable of just about beating anyone in you know put in front of him. I think Jorge Fortea is a guy who I think is being overlooked just a little bit, but I think that's really because of a lack of uh, a lack of footage or a lack of study on him. A lot of people have seen Bakram much more than you know, much more often in the ring and in more. Uh, than Jorge Fortea, even though Bakram, you know, he fights, uh, he doesn't always fight in the U.S., his last fight was in Russia, but I think eventually, I, I think we'll I think we'll see Bakram win this fight, and I think he's going to stop Jorge Fortea, but I think it's going to be a, a slightly closer fight than some people predict, uh, or may think at least on paper. And then we got obviously Senesa Estrada versus Marlon Esparza, who I think is a phenomenal. I think this is a, I think this fight is really, really good. I've said it. I said it when this fight was announced, and I'll say it again. I think Senesa Estrada versus Marlon Esparza could potentially steal the show. I really, really think that these are two of the best female. Prospects slash contender. Well, not I wouldn't even call them prospects. They are contenders, but they are some of the best contenders at flyweight slash light flyweight in women's boxing right now. And this is a genuine rivalry between these two, and they're fighting for the interim WBA uh, flyweight title. And obviously, the winner could potentially see themselves uh, see herself. Eventually, fight a, someone like now um, Naoko Fujioka, who I think not a lot of people know. But Naoko Fujioka is, I think, in my opinion, she's a top ten pound for pound fighter. Yeah, even at forty four years old, I think she is a tremendous fighter, and she is she holds the WBA flyweight title. Uh, I I don't know if if Fujioka is gonna hang it up soon or if she has already. I'm not entirely sure. But if she's willing to fight the winner of Esparza versus Estrada, I think that'd be a hell of a fight. And I think this fight, Estrada versus Esparza, uh, is going to be real good. I think this is going to be one of those cases where you see a women's boxing fight and it's going to turn out very, very well. And I think it's going to open a lot of eyes when it comes to the sport. I think this fight is going to be that much fun and that damn good. I'm willing to bet that this is going to be the best fight of the night. Or at least... The best fight on the undercard. And I guess maybe just quick rundown towards the rest of the undercard. Uh, Blair Cobb, Blair Cobb, Carlos Ortiz, Cervantes. Blair Cobb, I've said it time and time again. This guy is a charisma machine. Uh, this, As far as his ceiling is concerned, that remains to be seen. I don't think he's going to be a world champion at least from what I see. I think there's still a lot of a lot of things about Blair Cobbs that I think it it's it's very unpolished 
And I think that he's not a guy that can really fight a true top welterweight or even a top welterweight fringe contender. And you reasonably see Blair Cops winning. Because I think he's, you know, there's a lot of talent there, but it's raw. He leaves himself open to getting hit a lot. But that, but for the audience, that's great because that means we, we get an awesome back-and-forth firefight between the two. And Blair Cops, he's the guy, he has the look. The guy it has a ton of charisma. It's a great talker. He, he is a star. And I think it would do Blair Cops a lot of good if he not only wins this fight, but continue getting these levels of fight where it's not against, you know, guys he's expected to beat easily, but guys that will give him uh, a test, that will give him a little bit of trouble in trying to secure a victory. And I think Blair Cops, he, he could be, he could be a... A solid contender. I just don't think he's going to be a world champion based on what I've seen right now. But I got to tell you, Blair Cobbs might be one of my top five, top ten favorite Walter Waits right now to watch. He is that much fun uh, right now, and he is so charismatic. I, it, I just gravitate towards watching his fights regardless of who it is against. You got uh, Maidin Nursultanov versus Christian Olivas. Uh, you know, Nursultanov, you know, from Kazakhstan, really is a guy who, uh, another guy who is really being looked at as a potential uh, player uh, in his respective weight class, this time being at middleweight. Uh, you know, I just don't, he's no, he's no Gennady Golovkin. He's not going to be, he's not going to be the next middleweight Kazakhstan fighter to dominate the division for the next 10 years he's not but I think he's gonna I think he's gonna do well I think Olivas he's a guy who you know he's he's on a three fight losing streak and he's and all three fights were against guys that were right around your Sultanov's level and I just don't see this uh I, I just don't see this fight you know, being any different than the other three fights, like a Balakaway, Tyler Howard, or a Johnny Beck, uh, Alim Kanuli. But I, but he's tough. He's very tough, and I don't think Nursultanov's gonna run him over, as some people might think. But I think uh, he's gonna win on the scorecards fairly easily. And lastly, uh, uh, Ivan Holyfield, the the son of Evander Holyfield, making his pro debut. Uh, he's a guy, you know, he was signed by Main Events, uh, the same company that promotes Sergey Kolev. He's fighting Nick Winstead. Not much to say right here except he's Evander Holyfield's son. I, I have not had a real good look at Holyfield, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how he fares uh, against uh, Nick Winstead in his pro debut. So, kind of going into this final portion, uh, or at least one of the, these last two uh, final portions of the show. And later tonight, as of this recording, uh, I will, it, it is, not necessarily, it is maybe, what, 10 hours before we get this Mayweather uh, boxing card from Las Vegas. is going to be aired on Showtime. It's the Showbox, the new generation card, the... The, the series of events where you have guys, uh, prospects, 
getting the opportunity to fight on na uh, on national TV in, in, in what usually is pretty decent scraps depending on the type of fighters uh, that are going to that that are on tab. And this fight is so we got a quadruple header. Xavier Martinez versus Jesse Cris Rosales, which I think could be a pretty decent fight. I like Xavier Martinez a lot, and Jesse Cris Rosales, he's a guy who's gotten the, who, who's fought guys like Johnny Gonzalez and Shakur Stevenson. He hasn't, and he, he hasn't looked all that great as of late. I think Martinez is going to beat Jesse Cris Rosales. Uh, but the one fighter, one of the few fighters that I really have my eye on in this card is Richardson Hitchens. So Richardson Hitchens, you, if you have been in the Brooklyn area or follow Brooklyn boxing in the last couple of years, you obviously know who Richardson Hitchens is. He's fought at the Barclays Center tons of times already in his young career. He's from Brooklyn. He represented Haiti in the 2016 Olympics. He's 9-0. He is... A, certainly a very, very solid prospect. And he is joining me right now on the FIFO Boxing Podcast. I spoke to Richards and Hitchens not too long ago. And here's what we have to talk about uh, regarding his career, his start, how he got into boxing, his upcoming fight against Kevin Johnson, his goals for the 2020 and more. So without further ado, here is... Richardson Hitchens on the Frightful Boxing Podcast. Carl Starr here from Fightful. I'm talking on, on here, joined on the line by the undefeated former Olympian Richardson Hitchens, who's fighting on the upcoming Showbox, the new generation card from Las Vegas on November the 1st. He'll be taking on Kevin Johnson. Richardson, how are you doing? How has training camp been going along? Just about a week from the fight, less than a week from the fight. I'm good. Everything good. Just ready to uh, just shut these couple pounds off and uh, get this get this fight going on. You know, you've fought most of your fights in your hometown of Brooklyn, and I know since I've seen the majority of them ringside, but this is, your, I believe, your second time fighting outside of Brooklyn. How's the travel and preparation for a fight like this, you know, compared to being on, you know, being able to train and fight basically in your backyard? You've had a, a number of fights already as a pro, and you're already in eight rounds now, about to go to ten rounds. You know, as you're racking up wins and your career is starting to progress, you know, what are some things do you feel like you still kind of need to work on? Uh, just getting better and better as a fighter. Every fighter needs every fighter uh, got things to work on. I mean, right now, right now as we speak, I'm looking at the, the Regis Progre and uh, Josh Taylor fight. Uh, and they got things to work on, and they 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 are uh, fighting they unified world champions. So, I mean, 
that's just how the sport the sport is about getting better and better um, as you go on in your career. You know, kind of now shifting the focus on you and your starting your career because you're obviously a highly touted prospect and you're now getting on this platform. And it all started, you know, with you growing up in Brooklyn. And so, you know, what drew you into the sport of boxing? You know, what led you to first lacing up your gloves and stepping into the gym? Um, I always like to find the street coming up. So, uh, um, I was I, I found a box. I, I, I was on YouTube one day just looking for boxing to near me. I was free. I, I thought I kind of thought like I kind of thought like it was impossible to find a free boxing gym because everywhere I googled, it was always like you got to take some lessons and all that. And the gym that I found was crazy. It was free and it was the best boxing boxing gym in the nation. Like in in well, the best boxing gym in in New York and in in. And it had the best amateurs in the nation. So, so when I found the gym, I came in there. I just fell in love with the smell. I fell in love with the gloves, just the sport, um, just everything about the sport. And then it was kids my age there that was coming from like the similar situations and, and kind of related to me a lot. So I kind of grew like a, a brotherhood, and it was like a family thing going on. So I, it was just love and just something to. Just, it was just something that I just fell in love with. It was like going to school and and, and you go to high school and you find that group, your group of friends that you just gonna stick with for the for the whole school year. So it was kind of like that. It was just kind of like going to the gym and just finding people that that I had love for. You know, Showtime, you know, profile your your training camp and a little bit of your life story. And it's, you know, for those listening, I, it's a video I highly recommend watching. It's uh, You can find it on YouTube. It's like 12 minutes long. What was it like having, you know, a bigger spotlight on you for this fight? You know, and, and basically a bigger spotlight after your career progressing, you start getting more and more wins as a pro. Um, um, it, it, it's cool. It's it's what I expected. I feel like I'm. I honestly feel like I'm one of the. I'm, I can contribute a lot to the game as far as uh, just my talent. I feel like I'm a special talent. I, I always, I always, uh, I look at fighters everywhere. I've been, I've seen all types of styles and, and all types of fighters. And I feel like I'm one of them, one of them guys that just don't walk in the boxing gym every day. So just the world. I feel like it's more to come because I mean, there's only right if you're a special talent. All the things come with it, so I feel like I'm a special talent. I feel like uh, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. You know, well, one thing that I thought was really cool from that video that I was watching, you know, a couple of days ago was, you know, just hearing you talk about first watching, you know, Floyd Mayweather when he was in WWE for that brief moment, bidding up the big show. So then I kind of fast forward to your pro career, to the start of your career, and you get signed by Mayweather himself and his in his company, you know, at the time, what did you think, you know, you're getting signed by Floyd Mayweather, who you've seen for, for a very long time, and did you think it was kind of like poetic in the sense that, you know, you started watching him when you were a little kid, and now you're fighting uh, for his company as a pro? Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a crazy situation. It, it's crazy. I never, I never uh, like, thought, thought, I knew I wanted to sign Mayweather, but I never thought, like, coming up. I wasn't going to be signed to the but I mean, things happened. That was something I, 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 I felt like made with promotions. I can, I can stand out. That was a promotional company. I can stand out. It was going to take me to 
problem and be and can make me the start the starter I thought I, I could become so um it was it was great. It was great. Just uh everything about but I mean fast forward now is it's about uh getting me to the world, world championship and and at the right time. And I feel like I'm I'm gonna be ready for um in the near future. You know, speaking about the future, and obviously your goal right now, it's on November the 1st and getting that 10th win, but do you have sort of a, a goal or a, or a list of things already set out for you that you want to accomplish next year, whether it be, you know, stay fighting, you know, at 10-round fights and get acclimated at that length for fights, face bigger opposition, etc. What are your goals for next year, if you have any already laid out? I'm gonna step up. I'm gonna keep stepping up the opposition. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna um, fight uh, by next year. Fight a uh, for a belt, an interim belt, or uh, um, or any belt, intercontinental belt, a former world champion. I'm gonna step up the competition definitely. I wanna, I wanna get to, I wanna fight on the championship level as as soon as as soon as I as possible because I feel like I'm ready to fight championship. Caliber type fighters as far as former world champions and uh, top top fighters coming up also that that's gonna push me. So I'm looking I'm looking for them type of fight. I, I I feel like uh it's the perfect time. I'm only getting older, so it's time to step up to competition. So I don't want to just I, I and I feel like with my skills and my ex, my experience in the sport, I don't think I gotta be guided like other young fighters gotta be guided and fighting uh mediocre fighters and building their records. I feel like. Just throw me to the world and just see it and watch me come out on top. You know, back to this fight against Kevin Johnson. I mean, I know you've you've probably t- taken a look and already have sort of a bit of a game plan already in place without kind of going way too much in detail around that. But should the people watching your fight next Friday, should they expect, you know, an aggressive, fast start, you know, try to use the jab, establish the rhythm early against a fighter like Kevin Johnson? I don't know. I don't know. I'm a thinker. I, I I'm a thinker in the ring. So whatever, whatever, uh, whatever, uh, like goes on or whatever's working for me, that's what, what that's what I'm gonna stick with. It. But, but I can see I can step it up and and, and, and take a turn. I can take a turn. If I can see I can outbox him, I think it. I'm 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 real seasoned. So like my age, like but like a lot of people don't know that. I I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or none of that, but. People that like around me, top pros that's been in the ring with me, know like I'm real seasoned for my number of fights. I don't fight like a person that got nine fights, so I'm real seasoned. So I think that's gonna make the real the difference, like me being able to adjust and just uh, just um, get the job done. But I think I think my main focus, my main focus is to stay composed on Saturday night and just stay uh, stay just get comfortable because it, like it's kind of a different stage. It's gonna be on television and. It's gonna be in front of a. Uh, I'm the co-main event, so it's gonna be in front of a big crowd, and I, I know a lot of people gonna be gonna come out to support me and watch me fight. So it's just about staying comfortable and just uh, and just staying composed in the ring. So that's kind of like my main game game plan. Once once that happens, everything's just gonna fall into place. You know. I- I've seen, I've followed you since your pro debut back in 2017. I was there ringside watching it. And even from then to now, I've noticed that you really have grown as a fighter and you really have 
They're a matured indoor ring, and you certainly may have spent some time this summer. You've trained alongside the likes of, you know, Geronti Davis, and, you know, you have a deep friendship with guys like Erickson Lubin. A lot of a lot of top names, as you mentioned, you've sparred and trained with. Do you kind of look at this fight as sort of opportunity to really showcase what you've learned, especially this year, and sort of set yourself apart from the rest of the top prospects in your weight class? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm the best. I honestly feel I'm the best young fighter in boxing. Uh, I honestly feel like I'm up there with uh, all the top prospects. They talk about Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson, myself. I feel like I'm, I'm the top caliber fighter, just like that. Just, just young special guys. So the world never got to see it. They've been flying on TV and and, and had the opportunity to uh, showcase their talent. So. Uh, from now on, is, I'm going to be on television a lot more, so George is going to get to see uh, just see, uh, what I bring to the table and what I can contribute, contribute to the game. So, I mean, it's the start of saying great. Lastly, you know, you've beaten your last two opponents inside three rounds. Do we expect a similar result come November 4th, 1st? Is that your prediction? Um, I don't know. The kid is tough. When I'm, from what I'm hearing, from what I'm hearing, he's tough. But I mean, boxing when you come in the ring is 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 you gotta be tough. Once you step in the ring, you gotta have some type of heart. So that's not that that's like it's not a, it's nothing it's not a uh, a, it's not something that he's he him being tough ain't certainly not helping. If he run into something, it can be an early night. If he if he if he could take if I punish him to his corner when to stop it, reference stop it either way, but. My my main my main thing is to go out there, stay composed, and get the victory the best way I know how, and and, and win it in present fashion. I I want my goal for this fight is to show that there's levels, and a kid like me gotta they gotta step it up. Like keep I want them to keep having the conversation. Like I'm on a whole different level, so I just want to show that. Richardson, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Um, best of luck in your fight November 1st, and best of luck in your career moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that was Richardson Hitchens. I really like Richardson. Richardson's a, Richardson's a, a, a cool cat. Cool, calm, and collected. You know, in the ring, you can start to see why he's a guy that a lot of people think he could potentially be a world champion or someone that could be a a real player at 140 pounds. Um, Funny enough, when I spoke to Richardson Hitchens, uh, he was, it it was in the middle of the Josh Taylor Regis program fight. We we were talking in the middle. It was like in the seventh round, sixth, seventh round where he was uh, talking about that. Um, kind of edited that uh, that part out because he was kind of giving his like his live uh, his live commentary. So obviously we didn't get to so be kind of weird to just talk about a fight as we were watching it after it already happened. But regardless, I, I really like Richardson Hitchens. He's a guy that I really really think he could be something down the line. You know, I don't think he's gonna be. You know, ready to take on top 15, top 10 guys next year. Maybe in 2021 we will. But I, I certainly do see a lot of potential in Richardson Hitchens. That's how good uh, I think and that's how great his ceiling is. He's only 22 years old. You know, we sometimes get lost on the 
on some of these younger guys like Shakur Stevenson and Gervonta Davis and David Benavides and, and they win world titles at such a young age. Not every fighter is built that way. And that's okay. That is a-okay. That's no problem. You can. There's no shame in developing yourself throughout the first four or five years and sort of building up your record, getting more experience and before you face the the bigger names. And, you know, uh, Hitchens has not fought any noteworthy names. The, the biggest name is at the throughout his career before Kevin Johnson is Treshawn Wiggins, who, uh, you know, it's not nothing too spectacular. I mean... It's not a terrible win. It's not a. It's not a bad win. I mean, he's a guy that can fight tough. Fight. Um, he's a guy that can fight tough prospects and do really well. But you know, he's still not at a. Hitchens is not at a point where he's fighting top ten guys. But I think he will. I think there will come a point where he will be ready to fight those top ten, top fifteen guys. And I think he's certainly going to be uh, someone to watch out for. Other fighters are going to be on this Mayweather Promotions card on Showbox, a new generation on Showtime on November 1st at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you got, as I mentioned, Xavier Martinez versus Jesse Cristo Rosales, Richardson Hitchens versus Kevin Johnson, Rolando Romero versus Juan Carlos Sordones, and lastly, you got, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kevin Newman. The second against Marcos Hernandez. So, obviously, you got those four fights. They're really good. Over on the uh, on Mayweather Promotions YouTube channel, you actually have the rest of the undercard that will actually be uh, shown on, uh, on Facebook. So, you're going to get a chance to see the entire card. You're going to get a chance to see the whole card on... Uh, this uh so if you wanted some free boxing uh on fr- on friday night this is where you got this is where you go maybe with the promotions facebook page and obviously i'm really looking forward to seeing the fights to, uh i think it's gonna be a a very fun night of boxing for the mayweather promotions family and before we go kind of a better rundown of the Showtime and FS1 cards that we got uh, running right, actually right around the same time uh, as the Canelo Alvarez versus Sergey Kovalev card. Obviously, the top recount you got Miguel Burchelt versus uh, Jason Souza for the WBC Super Featherweight title. Uh, Burchelt is one of the best super featherweights in the world. That kind of goes without saying. Sosa is not being looked at favorably. I don't know why. I think Sosa is a tougher customer that a lot of people give him a lot of credit for. He's His only two losses were, uh, in the last few years, were against, you know, uh, Vasily Lomachenko and Yuri Yorkis Gamboa. And you can make a hell of an argument that Sosa really deserved that win against Gamboa because I thought Jason Sosa won that fight. And Vasily Lomachenko, look, there's no shame in losing to Vasily Lomachenko. That, you know, Lomachenko's in a class of his own. So uh, that's not fair to criticize Jason Sosa for not winning, uh, for not beating Lomachenko because 
there's only one guy who's done it, and that's Orlando Salido. And that was in Lomachenko's second fight, and even then, Lomachenko had an argument, had a case that he won the fight. So, that's neither here nor there. But I think it's going to be a really good fight. I think Burchell's going to win. But I think Jason Sosa is going to be a tougher out than a lot of people give him credit for. There was supposed to be another fight uh, on that card uh, for a world title between Jonathan Rodriguez and Jerwin Ancaja for the IBF Super Flyweight title. But that fight got canceled because Rodriguez could not secure a visa or had troubles getting a visa. So Jerwin Ancaja will be left without uh, a, def- uh, a title defense to close out 2019. Over on the FS1 card that is also running at the same time as the Canelo versus Kovalev uh, card, uh, Wale Omotoso versus Brian Castaño, I think that is a very, very good fight. Uh, I think at 154 pounds, I think Omotoso has really turned heads with that win against Curtis Stevens. Now, granted, Curtis Stevens is, you know, he's way past his prime, shouldn't have fought 154 pounds, but the fact that Omotoso just dominated Curtis Stevens the way he did, that really turned a lot of heads. And Brian Castaño, he fought Eddie Landilara to a draw in his last time out, and it was a legitimate eye. It wasn't a case where one guy got screwed over on the scorecards or anything like that. No, this was a legitimate 50-50 fight. And Castaño is still one of the best junior well, junior middleweights in the world. And I think we're going to see a pretty, pretty good fight. I think we're going to see, uh, you know, Castaño have another tough out. I think Omotoso. There is something to be said about getting a win over Curtis Stevens in the manner that he did. I think that's going to, I think Omotoso is coming into this fight with a ton of confidence. And I think that confidence is going to play a big role in this fight. I think Castaño is going to win this fight, you know, narrowly winning on the scorecards. But I'm looking forward to this fight. If you don't have a zone subscription, you don't bother, you're not bothering getting one, or and you don't want to watch ESPN, but you still want to watch boxing, this is your fight. This is the fight you want to watch. This is the the fight that you want to uh, check out. And lastly, before I forget, because this is just a loaded boxing weekend, a loaded boxing weekend. Uh, lastly, I do want to at least acknowledge the, the the matchroom card that we have tomorrow uh, on November 2nd in the afternoon, early evening. Uh, Christina Linaidatu versus Katie Taylor for... The WBO Junior Welterweight Title, uh, Taylor, the undisputed light heavy uh, lightweight queen in boxing, she's gonna be moving up in weight to challenge for Lina Latu's world title. You got on the undercard Anthony Krola, Martin Bacoli, Gamalia Fai, Dalton Smith, Cherry Harper. You got some really decent names on this undercard, but obviously the focus is on the main event. Taylor, obviously, I I don't. She wants to win a world title in the second weight class, and I get that. But it, it's a very—it's a damn shame we didn't. The the rematch against Delphine Persoon was not made because I think Persoon really deserved at least another shot at the undisputed titles. I really do think that it should have been that that should have been the fight to make next. Uh, 
But listen, Christina Linodatu is a, is someone who's sure maybe maybe like twenty people have seen Christina Linodatu fight, and I'm talking about uh, you know online. But her two title fights in Greece, I think I not a lot of people have seen it, so I'm just going to tell you, I've seen both of her fights, and let me tell you something, Leonard Dato can fight, I think this is going to be a real good fight, I think Katie Taylor, uh, you know, I don't think she's going to ha- encounter too much trouble uh, making the jump from 135 to 140 pounds, but she's going to be in a hell of a firefight against Christina Leonard Dato, she dominated Candy Wyatt, uh, and when she first won the title and back in March, and I think we're gonna see Linaldato really give Katie Taylor a ton of trouble. Maybe not as much as Delphine Pursun did, but I think this is gonna be a closer fight than a lot of people predict. I think Taylor's gonna win this fight, and what's gonna be really interesting is seeing what will happen next. Is Katie Taylor gonna vacate the 140 pound title? Is she gonna? Uh, stay at 140 and just abandon the lightweight division entirely. Is she just going to opt to try to go for a fight against Amanda Serrano? Which I think that fight should also be made. Uh, regardless of the weight class. Because I think both fighters are more than capable of fighting each other in a multitude of weight class. Whether it be 135 or 140. Both, ha- um, you know, by the time if that fight gets made, both have fought world title fights at 140 pounds. So I think you can make that fight... Virtually any weight class that those two have fought at, and there will be no problem whatsoever. But I think Katie Taylor will win this fight. I think it's going to be close on the scorecards, and I think it's going to be a real good fight. I recommend watching this fight. I'm going to say this right now. The two women's fights, the two notable women's fights, Leonardo Taylor and Estrada uh, Esparza, I think they're going to be very, very good. I'm really, really good that uh, I'm really happy that they're going to be featured prominently on The Zone uh, this weekend. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. You can head on over to FightfulBoxing.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. I'm Carlos Toro, FightfulBoxing.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply on YouTube, whatever. You can check us out on all podcast platforms. Call us over with the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Signing out.